You know, lately we have had several uh, lessons that has referred to the fact that our purpose here is to serve God, bring glory to His name, and worship Him. That it is not all about us. You know, God's will is that we love Him first, our neighbors second, and ourselves last. The problem is that we do not always do this. We get our priorities in reverse. That we looked out for our own well-being first. Then we think about God and our fellow man. You know, have you ever stopped to think about God's perspective of selfishness? After all, he gave his son to a rebellious people to die for their sins. His son laid down his life for people that was looking for self-gratification. It was all about them. When we think of selfishness, there are several words that comes to mind, or at least comes to my mind. One of them is egotism, self-serving, self-obsession, self-willed, and the lack of consideration for others. They all describe an intense desire to serve me and and, uh, have what I want and what I need. We see this type of behavior in the world around us every day. It's practiced and it's encouraged even. Look out for number one. It's all about you. Take care of yourself. But if that wasn't bad enough, we see this type of behavior in varying degrees in our relationships with one another. I find the attitude of it's all about me very disturbing because it has destroyed so many relationships. We live in a self-centered society, and whether we are willing to admit it or not, we are affected uh, by our surroundings. God's perspective shows us a better way to live and to be happy. He shows us that there is great reward in serving Him and serving our fellow man. His perspective is it as more blessed to give than to receive. You know, selfishness uh, selfishness is hurtful. It's destructive. It's cruel. It's ugly. But the bottom line, it is a sin. In Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul referred to uh, covetousness, which is the epitome of selfishness. And is defined as a greedy, insatiable yearning. And Paul said, let it not be once named among you as become a saints. We clearly see it's all about me syndrome in others. Yet it is difficult and possibly impossible for us to recognize it in ourselves. Relationships are destroyed when what I want is an absolute. 
and the other person's needs and feelings are ignored. You know, most of the time we are our own worst enemy. Solomon said in Proverbs 11, verse 17, The merciful man doeth good to his own soul, but he that is cruel troubleth his own flesh. Solomon makes a comparison of a man that is merciful. You know, when a man is merciful, he's going to be looking out for other people. And he said, he doeth good to his soul when he does this. But he said, a person that will embrace uh, selfishness with its cruelty, he says, he makes his life a lot harder than it has to be. What we allow in our hearts will determine a lot of the quality of our lives. Solomon said in Proverbs 4, verse 23, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. You know, when I was younger, I had considerable trouble getting along with people in, that I did business with because they didn't do things the way that I thought they ought to. I failed to see that much of the trouble that I had stemmed from my own selfishness. However, my daddy, he recognized the problem. And he told me, he says, Mark, if you're having trouble with everybody that you're dealing with, you can bet it's not the other person's fault. All of it's not the other person's fault. And I'm going to say to you this morning, if you're having trouble uh, in your relationships, if you're experiencing a lot of turmoil in your relationship, it's time to step back, take an honest evaluation of your actions. And I believe if you will do it honestly, you will see that all your problems does not stem solely from another person's, from the other person's selfishness. In Scripture, we read of an event that took place, which I believe shows the uh, fruits of unrestrained selfishness. The story shows the progressive nature of selfishness, of uncontrolled desire, and the need to uh, have one's own way. And with this train of thought, I want to focus on how selfishness can creep into our lives and if it's not dealt with, can turn into something very ugly. The process goes like, I want what I want, that desire, to I'm going to have what I want, making plans to have what you want. And finally, having what I want at any cost, and I don't care who gets hurt in the process. The Apostle James talked about this when he said we are, when we are tempted, we are drawn away by our own lust. We're enticed. We have that desire. And he says, then when lust hath conceived, lust starts making plans. And if we give in to it, uh, it, it will, we will conceive a plan. And finally, that plan will be put into action, the fulfilled desire. And I want to talk about these three progressive stages 
this morning. And how at the end of that is always destruction. In Scripture, we read of Ahab and Jezebel and their selfish desires. Now, the beginning of this story started out innocently enough. But the progressive nature of selfishness led desire to turn into obsession, which in turn brought about the fulfilled desire at any cost. And the end result was destruction. The Bible tells us that the things that are written is for our learning. I want to ask you this morning, are we listening? Number one, the desire. I want what I want. We begin reading in 1 Kings, the 21st chapter, beginning with verse number one. And the Bible says, And it came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard which was at Jezreel, hard by the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And Ahab spake to Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is near my house. And I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it, or if it seem good to thee, I will give thee the worth of it in money. You know, every time I read this, I think about, uh, I've heard the saying that, I don't want to own all the land, just everything that joins me. Well, this was Ahab. This was what he wanted. It was close to his house. And he wanted this vineyard. He had a desire for the vineyard. And Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid it me that I give uh, the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. And Ahab came into his house, heavy and displeased because the word that Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. But, uh, for he said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid down upon his bed and turned away his face and would eat no bread. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said unto him, why is thy spirit so sad that thou eatest no bread? And he said unto her, Because I spoke, or spake unto Naboth the Jezreelite, and said unto him, Give me thy vineyard for money, or else if it please thee, I will give thee another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give thee my vineyard. You know, we're all familiar with kids whenever you tell them no. You say, no, you can't do this. They swell up. They get mad. They pout. They go off and sit in a corner. This is exactly what Ahab did. He wanted that vineyard. He wanted it bad. And when he was told no, he pouted. You know, his desire was not wrong to own that vineyard. It was not wrong for him to wanted to, uh, to have that vineyard. Not only that, but he tried to acquire it the right way. But his offer was rejected. And at that point, it became uh, forbidden to him. He became obsessed with this, that uncontrolled desire that we talked about earlier. Now, had Ahab been a godly man, 
he would have chosen to pursue other interests and channel his uh, energies in a more positive direction to something constructive. In Genesis 3, we read about the, the temptation of Eve. And she, in part, she was tempted by her natural desire for food. And that was not wrong. Ahab was uh, interested in the, the vineyard. And it wasn't wrong for him to do that. When it became wrong with Eve and with Ahab was whenever their desire was turned toward the forbidden. There are many examples in Scripture of selfishness uh, that's portrayed by people in Scripture. One of them was uh, the young ruler who chose his wealth over the kingdom of heaven. The, the rich farmer that included no one in his plans, not even God. And the rich man that hoarded his wealth and would share with no one. Jesus said in Mark, the 8th chapter, in verse 34, that whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Denying self is required to follow Jesus. Number one, we talked about we talked about the desire. Number two is making plans. What James said, that lust, that desire, when it conceives, and that conceives means that it starts making plans to, to have what, uh, what I want. That's what, what it means. In 1 Kings 21, verse 7, And Jezebel his wife said unto him, Dost thou now govern the kingdom of Israel? Arise and eat bread, and let thine heart be merry. I will give thee the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. We see now the, the wheels are turning. The plans are being made. And plans... Begin, the planning stage begins when we give in to our desires. There's always a planning stage whenever we take it to this, uh, to this extreme. You know, Jesus defined uh, lust in Matthew 5 as looking with intent. Looking on a woman to lust after her goes beyond looking at a, uh, her beauty. It involves looking with purpose to indulge in sinful lust. Now there is a fact that we need to keep in mind at all times. That dwelling on sinful desires makes the temptation more intense. And with that intensity, it can cause us to give in to that temptation. You know, Job said in Job 31, verse 1, I made a covenant with my eyes. Then why should I think upon a maid? Job understood this thinking 
on a, a desire would make it more intense. And he just asked the question. He said, I've said I'm not going to do this, so why am I going to think about it? We need to keep that in mind. I believe that we can resist temptation if we will keep that in mind. That if we will quit dwelling on what we want, the temptation will be less intense. You know, when, when Eve lost sight of that the fruit was uh, forbidden, she began looking with a selfish purpose. Ahab and Jezebel's obsessive desire, a conceived intent, and a mental decision was made to have whatever it took to get the, uh, to do whatever it took to get the vineyard. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 13, 4, But put you on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. And this brings us to the third stage, the fulfilled desire. I'll have what I want at any cost, and I don't care who gets hurt in the process. In 1 Kings 21, we pick up the reading, and I'm not going to read these rather lengthy readings, but I'm going to hit the highlights of it. But Jezebel wrote letters in Ahab's name and sent it to the elders and the nobles of the city and commanded them to uh, proclaim a fast and set Naboth on high. And says, then take you two men of Belial that will bear false witness against him, saying that he uh, had blasphemed God and the king. And says, then take him out and stone him. Then we skip on down to the 15th chapter and we see that this all took place. And it came to pass that when Naboth was stoned and was dead, that Jezebel heard about it. And she went to Ahab and she says, Arise and take possession of the vineyard. Naboth is dead. He's not alive anymore. He refused to give it to you, but he's dead now. And when Ahab heard this, the Bible says that he got up and he went down to take possession of it. You know, we have referred to to the scripture that James, uh, James 1, verse 14 through 15, that every man, when he is tempted, he is drawn away uh, of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. That is the process of every sin. You have the desire, the enticement, you have the plans to make it happen. And then you have the fulfilled desire. This is exactly what happened to the prodigal son. He contemplated a life of sinful pleasure. That enticement. He made plans to make his desire reality. That was lust was conceived. And the Bible says once this happened, it was not many days till he was in the far country or living in sin. And he never once considered, nor did he care if he hurt his father. Ahab and Jezebel didn't even give it a thought 
to the uh, lives that were destroyed by their actions. You know, that's why selfishness is so ugly. It's all about me and there's no regard for anyone else. The fruits of unrestrained selfishness is broken relationships and destroyed lives. And as uh, James talked about it, he said the end result is the way or is death. In 1 Kings 21, we pick up our reading there. The Bible says, And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Hast thou killed and also taken possession? And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, In the place where the dogs lick the blood of Naboth, shall the dogs lick thy blood, even thine. And Ahab said to Elijah, Hast thou found me, O my enemy? And he said, He answered, I have found thee, because thou hast sold thyself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. You notice this scripture whenever uh, Ahab was confronted? He was sorry that he got caught. That's the bottom line. He was sorry he got caught. That's why selfishness is so hard to deal with. Selfishness has no remorse for its actions. It doesn't want its faults pointed out either. In fact, whenever we let selfishness absorb us or overtake us, we can do no wrong. In our minds, we can do no wrong. It's always the other person. In Micah, the second chapter, verse 1, the Bible says, Woe unto them that devise iniquity and work evil upon their beds. When the morning is light, they practice it. Because it is in the power of their hand, and they covet fields and take them by violence. You know, isn't it convenient that we view selfishness in others as detestable. We think it's really detestable when we see this practice by others. But we view our own selfish desires as what we deserve. In our relationships, we see the other person's wants and wishes as unreasonable expectations. While we want, while, what we want is an entitlement. We're entitled to it. Once again, we see just how deceitful sin really is. But you know, the good news is that this selfishness, like any other sin, can be overcome. But there's going to be a process that's going to have to take place in our lives for this to happen. And I want to talk just a few minutes about some things that we can do that will, will help us overcome this uh, way of thinking. We're going to have to identify the source of wrongdoing. Jesus said in Matthew 7 verse 20, that which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, 
adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. Once we understand where it comes from, that's where we can start working. Then we're going to have to change our way of thinking. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 12, verse 2, Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're going to have to change our way of thinking. Number three, we're going to have to ask for strength from God. We have got to realize that we cannot overcome sin on our own. We're going to have to have help. Nobody understood that better than David. In Psalm 51, verse 10, David said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew in me a right spirit. David was going through a lot of turmoil in his life. A lot of problems. And he realized that he was helpless on his own. That he needed to change and do what was needed, but he knew he needed help. Number four, we're going to need to focus on helping others. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 2, verse 3 through 5, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Now he said, we need to be, think about the betterment of others. Put that before ourselves and focus on that. The Apostle Paul in Romans 15, he talked about Jesus. And then he talked about us. Or he talked about us first. But he said... Uh, we that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. We have got to understand it's not all about us, regardless of what the world will tell us. It is not all about us. And he goes on down in there, and he said, for even Christ pleased not himself. I mean, Jesus did not want to die. But he knew that it had to be to redeem God's creation. It was necessary. And he didn't please himself. He'd done what was necessary. And like Paul said, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. And number five, we're going to need to walk in the Spirit. Paul said in Galatians 5, 16, this I say then... Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Effective change will only happen when we acknowledge uh, that we need change. Change starts where the wrong behavior began, we talked about, within the hearts and minds. You know, Jesus said, clean the inside first. And then a conscious effort must be made to change our way of thinking. And this includes thinking about the betterment of others. 
and spend less time focused on ourselves. Then we're going to have to implement this positive change in our lives and not just talk about it. You know, we asked the question in the beginning, have we ever considered what God's perspective of selfishness was? Well, in Judges, the second chapter, beginning with verse number 19, the Bible says that it came to pass when the judge was dead that they returned and corrupted themselves more than their fathers. Then he goes on down later, and he says, These ceased not, they ceased not their own doings, nor their stubborn way. And the Bible says the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. Do we understand what, how God feels about selfishness? He said these people, once the restraints were taken away, they went back and done what they wanted to do, and they done it even worse than their fathers had. They ceased not from their own doings. And he calls them that stubborn way. And he says the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. Do you think that possibly whenever we have the selfishness display, displayed in our lives, the way we deal with others, do you think God is pleased with that? Or perhaps do you think he is hot against the way we're living? Paul says, that in the in first and second Timothy three, that in the latter days there was going to be perilous times, and you know what he, uh, how he showed the sign that we was living in the last age, in perilous times. He says, "For men will be lovers of them own se their own selves." That was what he said. The perilous times are going to come, and this will identify when that happens. The perilous times has come. We're living in that. We're living in a society that it's all about me. And we are buying into it. We can say we're not. But what, uh, the fruits of it says different. When our relationships go sour. Because we're not listening to what God says. And doing what God says. But we're seeking our own will, our own way in things. Then we have been affected by this. If we will incorporate the things that we talked about in our lives. That will help us bring about change. That will keep us from doing this. Uh, Apostle uh, Paul said later on, he said, they're going to be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. I don't know about you, but I feel like that describes our time that we're living in today. You know, there's a passage in the book of Ezekiel that describes the fruit of selfishness to a T, I believe. God was content, uh, condemning the shepherds are the ch uh, religious leaders of the uh, children of Israel. 
And he condemned them for looking uh, to their own well-being and disregarding the flock. In Ezekiel 34, beginning with verse number 18, he said, Seemeth it a small thing unto you to have eaten up the good pastures, but you must tread it down with your feet, uh, tread down with your feet the residue of your pasture. And you have drunk of the deep waters, but you must foul the residue with your feet. And as for my flock, they eat that which has been trodden with your feet, and they drink that which you have fouled with your feet. Therefore thus saith the Lord unto them, Behold, I, even I, will judge between the fat cattle and between the lean. Because ye have thrust with side and with shoulder and pushed all the diseased with your horns till you have scattered them abroad. Now, envision the picture that he has painted here. He says, you've looked out for yourself. You've eaten of the good pastures. And whenever you was full, had what you wanted, then you threw the rest of it away and you walked on it. You let your, uh, the people had the leftovers. And it wasn't just the leftovers, but it was fouled leftovers. You have trodden it underfoot. And he said, then you drank the good water. And then you messed it up with your feet. You know, we have seen people uh, that have walked through water and how, the, how it muddies up the water. Well, that was what was happening. That, that was a picture that he was painting. He said, you got you a drink, and then you walked through it and messed it up for everybody else. You, we've seen people that are in a crowd, wanting to get to the front of the line, wanting to reach a destination. And they go to pushing and shoving people around and getting through the crowd to get where they want. And this is what he was describing the religious leaders that's doing. He says, you've pushed with your shoulder. You've pushed these people. You've gorded them. And he says, what has happened? You have scattered my people. They're no longer where they need to be. You have not cared for them like you were supposed to. God was sorely displeased with them. Now let's think about selfishness as it relates to each of us. You know, selfishness starts out small. And the longer we allow it in our lives unrestrained, it will grow into a second nature. And left long enough, it can define who we are. Let's bring it a little closer to home. Have you ever thought about in your family, if everybody in your family acted just like I do, what would my family be like? If everybody in the body of Christ acted just like I do, what would Christ's church look like? The story this morning is truly a sad one. And make no mistake, selfishness has far-reaching effects. We've seen the cruelty displayed, the hurt caused, and the complete disregard of other people. Selfishness left untreated will eat away at our spiritual well-being and will eventually destroy us. We're told when we stand before God and give an account that if we had no 
regard for others. We didn't feed them when they were hungry. We didn't clothe them when they were naked. And in general, we did not take care of our fellow man and his needs. The Bible says that Jesus will say unto us, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And the Bible says, And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. However, the good news is that we all can change. And God is faithful and just to forgive a penitent heart and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In Revelation 22, verse 17, the Bible says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Jesus' invitation is open to all. If change is needed in your life today, today is a perfect time to start making that change. Jesus offers spiritual healing to all. If you're subject to his call, would you come as we stand and sing?